Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible, in fact, just about everything. So welcome everybody to um, what we think is GodPod 62. We've just been having a debate of whether it's 61 or 62, but we think we've done 61. Counting was never our strong point. <laughs> it never has been. So we think we're on 62. Anyway, uh, welcome to it anyway, and uh, in any case. So um, today we have uh, Michael. Indeed we do. Hello. And uh, we also have Stephen Backhouse. Hello again. Um, Stephen, as you know, is a reasonable regular on uh, GodPod. And, um, I'm not sure how reasonable he is, but he's a regular. <laughs> he's fairly regular. Somebody, somebody told me the other day, I listen to your GodPod and you always disagree with everybody, so I'll, I'll have to see if I'm he's a disagreeable. Dis- he's a very disagreeable yeah, person. Trying to, agree, trying to agree with us this time, Stephen. And uh, sadly, we don't have Jane with us today. She is in um, Canada, I think, at the, this very moment. She is. But we do have a very special guest and we're delighted to welcome Baroness Maeve Sherlock. And... Um, Maeve, it's great to have you with us for GodPod. Hello, it's great to be here. I gather you've listened to one or two of these in the past yourself. Way too many of them. I'm actually a fan, a geeky side. Well, it's very encouraging that occasionally people do listen to this thing. So, um, But it's great to have you with us. And um, uh, Maeve, you're uh, a um, member of the House of Lords. I am. And have been for how long? About a year. Okay. So I'm right. new, I'm a baby baroness. Yes, yeah, so you're finding <laughs> your way. House of Lords person, finding your yes. way around the corridors of... I spent the whole of the first term getting spectacularly lost and generally being returned by policemen to the red carpets like a lost <laughs> child. And, which was, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm, at least now I can finally do, do it with confidence or get lost with confidence. So even, you can uh, find your way to the house in time for the debates. Yeah, well, hopefully. Yeah, that's very good. Well, um, uh, uh, Maeve is a, is a Labour Party life peer. She's a chief executive of the Red Refugee Council. She uh, was a special advisor to the Chancellor of Exchequer, Gordon Brown, when he was um, when he was Chancellor. That's right. And um, that's all. All, all, those th- all those things are true. They're all true. Yes. Very good. And um, and involved in lots of other different aspects of um, of a political life and so on. But uh, I mean, maybe to, just to start off with, um, maybe we'd love to hear something about the story of how you came to faith yourself, because I think you came to faith later in life rather than sort of growing up as a uh, in a Christian environment. I don't know, but um, we'd love to hear that, something about that story. Well, a bit of both, really. I mean, I actually grew up in an Irish Catholic family um, and went to a Catholic school. But I I didn't really go anywhere near a church after I'd left school, I mean, apart from the the family rituals of of baptisms and weddings, etc. And and hadn't really bothered um, God or or churches unduly until I was firmly middle-aged, about 45. Um, And... but I suddenly became seized of a desire to go to a church and didn't really quite know where to start. So I ended up wandering into a church in Islington in North London. Mm. So what happened? Any, any idea where this desire came from? Or should I not ask that question? Well, I was rather hoping you'd tell me, Mike, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think looking back at it, I guess I, I probably do now understand what it was about. At the time, it was frankly baffling. I mean, I, I remember being on holiday with a bunch of friends and, I, and we used to take piles of books to read. Um, and I, I, I don't even remember buying it. I bought a C.S. Lewis book called Surprise by Joy and read that. And I'd found myself increasingly interested in asking questions. I didn't know any really know any Christians. Well, I mean, I, I didn't know my friends were Christians. I didn't even know where to start. So I spent quite a lot of time on the internet on things like Ship of Fools and places where you could ask questions yeah. and eventually decided to brave it. And, and the only reason I went into this church in Islington is I'd been in it before because it sells Christmas cards, charity cards at Christmas. And, and it's kind of weird if you're not used to it. The odd thing about most churches is you can't see into them. So you've no idea what, what you're going to find when you get in there. But at least I'd been into this place and they'd seemed kind of faintly normal. And, you know, and so I, yeah. I, they've been quite nice to me. So what happened when you went in? Did you go to a normal service? Was it? Uh, well, the first time I went down, I drove or? down and watched them all go in and I was too scared. 
and I went home again. <laughs> so I went back again the next week and uh, yeah. it was a normal, what I now know was a normal sort of communion service. It was an Anglican mm. sort of middle of the range, probably open evangelical Anglican church. Um, and I went to a communion service, which was um, mostly interesting. The thing that was most striking to me, I mean, London's one of these places, as you guys all know, which is incredibly mixed, but people often don't mix that much. I mean, there are lots of all kinds of different communities. But this is, I remember sitting in this church and right in the back row, on one side of me was an older Caribbean woman who was dressed more smartly than when I was baroness, frankly. And oh. on the other side is a guy who's wearing shorts and flip-flops with a Starbucks cup, you know, like sitting Mike next now. to me. Exactly. And everything in between. And that was really striking as to the fact that all of this, you know, all of rich and poor, young and old, black and white, were all in this church. Yeah. Very but it's quite a rare thing, isn't it? I mean, as you say, London is a, it's an extraordinarily sort of blended city with... Well, blended in some senses, you know, what three hundred languages are spoken here, you know, every just about every culture and nationality represented. But how much interaction there is between those different subcultures is quite is, is, is a big question. People but, live close together. You're, London's yeah. unusual compared to many cities, and that you you can find streets of rich and poor opposite each other. Yeah. But 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 actually, they, they may they may look at together. They often don't go to the same places or go or socialise together at all. So it's quite unusual to get that sort of mixing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So did did you have any sort of blinding flash of insight at that moment, or or, or when you? Encountered church or Holy Communion or whatever. No, I mean, and the only reason really I went back is that the vicar was a guy called Graham King. So I think you've had yep. on here. He's now a bishop. He, he was just a plain old vicar in those days. And um, but the kind of vicar, despite having a church of 150 people, could spot a visitor at 100 paces, and you weren't getting out of that church until you'd had a conversation. And so, um, and 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 anyway, to cut a long story short, I went back, and they were doing an Alpha course, and I took an Alpha course. So um, uh, fascinating. It was, yeah. Um, Very good. Were you already politically? involved or engaged when you started hanging around with Christians? Because I'm interested in what your view of Christianity and it was as a working in politics and public life. As oh, I, I thought you were pretty much all fairly weird. Um, right. Yeah, and that, no, it was it was very... Um, so fairly accurate. So, yeah, exactly. Yes, <laughs> so exactly. <laughs> I just become weird myself, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Which is... Uh, which, yeah, I think it's what my friends have decided, actually. I think, I think they thought it was some kind of midlife crisis, really, and that, um, yeah, right. that I'd get over it, and oh. uh, maybe I will, <laughs> but, but not yeah. so far. Mm. Um, no, I, I, I suppose I've been very politically active for a long time. I, right. I was, you know, I was president of the National Union of Students, so I've been a kind of, you know, oh. hack way oh. back. And I'd always been politically engaged, and but actually, it had struck me very much when I was running the refugee council at the time this happened, and and I, knew, I used to visit a lot of projects. And at some point, looking back, I realised that part of what had begun to change my view of stereotypical view of Christianity was realising how many of the toughest projects working with some of the really most desperate and deprived refugees and asylum seekers were run by churches or by Christians, and and that began to shift. I think my my uh, I suppose what I thought Christianity yeah. was about. So which that was, was underlying yeah. one of the little yeah. things that were shifting that perhaps led you towards. This this tentative move towards the church. Well, I think what it does is take barriers away, and that's very much yeah. I think for me what the Alpha Course did. It's not so much that it it, it taught me to be a Christian; is yeah. it took away the things that were getting in the way sure. of being yes. open to, mm-hmm. to God. Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And and one of the things you were um, saying as we were emailing before this was um, was I suppose coming into to faith like that and and seeing how the world looks from a, a kind of church Christian perspective as opposed to how the world looks from a sort of political House of Lords type perspective and how those often seem quite quite different. I mean, what, what did you mean by that? And, and, and what are the differences you, you see 
there. I mean, does the world look very different from the two, two places? It really does. And, and I suppose for me, everything shifted because by the time this happened to me, I mean, I had a fairly well-developed worldview and opinions on pretty much everything I needed and, have, and many surplus ones, it must be said. And, uh, <laughs> but but none of because God wasn't part of that. I mean, God wasn't part of my world. And then all of a sudden yeah, he is or I'm part of his world and, and everything shifts. And of course, the world just looks slightly different. And I, and I certainly from being inside government, I mean, when I'd, I'd worked in the Treasury or when being around politics, we'd had a lot of engagement with churches where you're collaborating on issues. But it was only afterwards you realise you're often be speaking the same language or talking about the same things. But but actually, really, these are worldviews that are passing each other. And probably the single biggest example for me was that I just viewed religion essentially as a private matter. I just thought it was something a bit like being, I don't know, kind of a, a hobby or you feel being a fisherman, you know, or speaking French or playing the trumpet. You know, I, mean, it, I was quite happy for you to do it, but as long as you did it at home and didn't bother the neighbours, I mean, that was fine. Yes, trumpet, um, tr- playing trumpet does tend to bother the neighbours. <laughs> I, mean, I, I live in County Durham where the miners' galas coming up and I fully advocate yeah. the right of anyone to play the trumpet, although yeah. my neighbours sometimes take their rights too too much for granted if it's said, yeah. but yes. Yeah. yeah. So actually that that fact of Christians making their their faith not a private matter was actually quite quite a sort of significant thing. I mean I'm interested in some ways always within the relationship between say, you know, direct evangelism and, and more kind of community social action that's there. And it strikes me that the two are very closely related to each other. That actually the the involvement of Christians in public life is not somehow a comp- in competition with with the desire to sort of commend Christian faith as an option for people to choose. It's actually, it belongs together. And I think what you say seems to bear that out, that that sense of, of realising Christians were involved in a more public way actually had quite an impact in terms of thinking, actually, Christian faith could be something that I could believe in and, and opt into as well. I think for me, I mean, it feels important that people are willing to do things like Alpha um, in order that somebody like me has the opportunity to understand what this yeah. story is about. Yeah. But in the end, I think it's it's not, you know, you're not ever going to convert me. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going exactly. to come to faith and the Holy Spirit will draw me into that yeah. and, and yeah. it'll be a relationship with God. I think part of our job as Christians is to be willing to give an account you know, yeah. for the reasons for the hope that's within us. I mean, to be able to explain that. But primarily our job is to go out there and to live out the gospel and, and yeah. to do this yeah. in in a, in a way that's genuinely missional. But yeah. I think people are much yeah. more likely to watch us and to look at what we do and yeah. they are to listen to what we say yeah which fits in with your description of something like alpha is taking away barriers rather than somehow teaching you to to believe or convincing you to to to, to believe it's it's more a matter of, sort of opening the way for god to do what he does which is to somehow kind of invade our lives in this rather unsettling way so um I think I'd always thought Christianity was irrational. And what Alpha did was to show me that it's not irrational, yeah, but yeah. it's but that the world isn't simply rational. Sure. And yeah. and so that and that felt like a big step forward. Yeah, okay. But it was perfectly possible to have a rational approach to understanding that. But it and it and it, it could work well within the within the confines of rationality. That just didn't take you all the way. It would take you so far. And at yeah, some point right. a leap of faith is required or an yeah. engagement or an openness to that. Yeah. So that that's kind of how um Christianity looked different when you got to know it. Uh it looked not just a private thing, not just a hobby, not just blowing your own trumpet. Um, but so bad. <laughs> we expect that of Mike all the time. You've, you've listened to enough Godfalls not to be surprised. Um, but how does the world look different? It's a much happier place. <laughs> it's one of the odd things I think about Christianity is that I, I think people think it's worthy. I think the thing that I wish somebody had told me sooner was how much joy is involved. I mean, mm. it's been an absolute blessing in every possible sense. And, mm. you know, and I just feel incredibly enriched, um, both by 
getting to know God, but also just by the, the richness of this tradition and, and mm. its community mm-hmm. that you then become mm-hmm. a part of. Mm. And I think probably the single biggest difference for me is that I had previously viewed the world as something in which I as an individual was responsible for carving a path. And mm. now I see mm. myself as part of a people on a journey. And that's yep. just a very different way to look at life. So partly more joyful because accompanied. Accompanied um, by God, accompanied mm. um, by others, but also because I think it just releases in me a sense of an understanding of, of the meaning of things that previously mm. didn't seem to have meaning. I mean, I, it sounds mm. weird, but I remember just in the early days after I came to faith, just being much more aware of the joys of the beauties of creation, about of, of taking time, mm. of, of the beauties of other people, in, even people that I previously had mm. been had found it rather hard to discern their beauties. I mean, and 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 in fact, that that, that shifted in some strange yeah. way. And I like to think that people occasionally do that to me, which is why Christians are so nice. But um, I remember yeah. someone once describing to me, you know, the, the experience of coming to faith is is that it it suddenly made the world look a bigger place. Yeah. Mm. Yes. That before it looked rather small and suddenly this huge new horizon opened up, which I thought was a really good description. Yes. Yeah. That suddenly you see things you haven't seen before yeah. or, or things that you had seen before suddenly seem bigger. They well, seem sort yeah. of and more sure, dimensions to them and exactly well, yeah. like Flannery O'Connor's uh, the the writer, the short story mm. writer and novelist, um said that the Christian novelist lives in a bigger universe. Mm. And I've always found that that's yes. a very telling, and not just the novelist, of course. <laughs> Everybody yes. does. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. Always, yeah. it is the, the universe, the dimensions it actually is, yeah. but which one is opened up to. Yeah, that's right. Was, we, oh, okay. So oh, well, I'm on. desperately trying to find something to disagree with people. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, it looks smaller. I'm trying to think, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think what, I, what there was something that Maeve was saying, which was I was thinking about, was uh, the, the, maybe your universe gets bigger, but... Christians as a group are always a minority, so they they maybe do have a an open view of the world, and they're more joyful. Hopefully, if things are going right, they have more joyful. But in terms of public life, the the Christian voice is always the kind of crazy minority. They are a bit weird. They always are going to be a bit bit odd, and, and it can be a bit shrill. Yes, it can. Yeah, yeah. but I was I was thinking even when it goes right, like shrill is a is a is a bad word, but even. Even the, the the church that Maeve described, which sounds wonderful, it's odd. You know, flip flop guy sitting next to a Caribbean woman is is odd. Like it looks strange, and I I kind of like that. That there's something quite uh, out of step with the rest of the world that the church is. I I, I guess I would want to argue that that is normal. Right. <laughs> and the, and okay. the world is abnormal. So you think that's part of the bigger picture of the universe that we're getting? Exactly. Yeah. That, that is the way things are intended to be. Mm-hmm. That you can be enriched by that which is hugely different uh, because you are beginning to be in relationship with it. That's the norm. Segregation uh, a la Tower of Babel is actually what's abnormal. That's so, not intrinsic. So, but politically, not... how do, what do we do with that? Does that trans- transfer into politics? Do we try and make something like that the common the law for the public? Do we try and make, if Christianity is so uncommon sense, do we try and make Christianity common sense in, in our laws, in our public? Like, does it ever work that it becomes the way that everybody just naturally thinks? Or will it always be a bit of a minority pursuit? I wonder if you can't do what you were saying about the other course and, and remove barriers to that sort of thing happening uh, politically. But you, you'll have more idea of the political implications of this. I think one of the, the the biggest responsibilities Christians have in using their right to speak out in the public square is in choosing how to use that voice and the things that they choose to put out there. 
Because I keep remembering, I mean, the, the impressions I had of Christianity can't all just be blamed on, on a media that doesn't like religion yeah, in a modern age. Exactly. You know I mean, the, those impressions... Yeah. I mean, why was it this whole world was invisible to me beforehand? I remember the first time I went to the Greenbelt Festival and suddenly standing there, and there were 20,000 people there who were, generally speaking, interested in, in social justice, in you know, the kind of things I was interested in. And it was like, you know, I don't know, Narnia had suddenly appeared. I mean, how, how did I not know this world was there? How did I, you know, how, how, why did uh, I have to trip out the back of a wardrobe to discover that right. here are this, this whole layer of people that I'd never come across and, I, and obviously I have to take responsibility for that because I'm sure the barriers were being put up by me mm. but also what is it about that when Christians do break through they, they, we seem to too often end up being heard either defending ourselves mm. or defending our rights right. or trying to impose our values mm. on others yeah. as opposed to trying to live them out and saying hey this is fun come and join the picnic yeah. Yeah. yes and there's a sort of diffidence and a, and a reticence which is probably not the best approach to, 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 to making that a bit more visible well, it's a strange one, you see. I find the people often for whom I've learned the most are the most diffident in offering it. Mm. And, and, yep. and there are some plenty of Christians who are not in the least bit diffident yeah, about true. offering their views, yeah, but actually yeah. those are sometimes <laughs> harder to access because they're so certain. Yep. One of the things I was most impressed by about the whole of Christianity was, was doubt. I mean, one of the things that, reasons I stayed an Anglican was because the idea, it was incredibly radical, the idea that I could end up standing, taking communion in an Anglican church mm. next to somebody who disagreed about absolutely pretty much everything yep. that mattered, and yet we still worship together I mean that felt that's something that's a real that's a real testimony to the, the, the world of politics where certainty is, is is paramount and I think seriously overrated and I think that's that's part of the diversity thing isn't it not only you sitting beside somebody flip-flops <laughs> uh, one side and, and yes. some cheerous garments Mike hasn't got flip-flops on I, I can guarantee Stephen was lying earlier um, <laughs> the flip-flops was the real revelation because I think the image I'd had from kind of childhood 1970s Catholicism mm. was that church was somewhere you had to put your Sunday best on to go and there was something that, that was that was a metaphor as well you know you had to God, you had to present yourself as the best possible mm. person you were right. to God and the notion mm. that actually it was okay for me just to be myself in a pair of jeans and flip-flops yeah. and God would still love me was completely a, re a revelation yeah. Yeah. yeah, but but that you get theological difference as well, yes. and diversity yeah. as well as social, intellectual, moral. Let's face it, uh, difference, and that by being together, you actually learn together. All this and biscuits too. And there's yes. exactly that's right. And there's space for that to happen. I mean, it strikes me, you know, when you read an epistle like Galatians, you know, where Paul is he's pretty convinced that the Galatians are wrong on a whole lot of things and, and, and so on. But it's very interesting that he doesn't say, right, you're not, no, no longer Christians. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I'm going to sort of um, excommunicate you. I'm not going to sit next to you at communion or whatever. You know, the argument still happens. And he may well be, you know, right, and the Galatians are wrong, but he doesn't unchurch them at that at that, that point. And so that seems to me you know, hmm. to say that a church that that wants to be like the New Testament church has to has to to live with a certain degree of sort of disagreement on a, a number of different different things. And, and his and, collection is a, is a case in point. There he yeah. is collecting money for the saints uh, in Jerusalem, yeah. um, mm. who by and large have been dogging his every theological step. Ask him to leave. Can I ask the, the table, what, do you think compromise is a virtue or a vice? Well, it's a very good question, isn't it? Because yeah. in certain, in some... Context that word is used, or oh, yeah. it's compromise, you know, and you should not compromise. In other contexts, it's a seems to me, you know, in, in other relationships we have, compromise is actually a kind of a vital skill to have, you know, in a, in a marriage. Yep. If you can't 
learned to compromise yeah. on certain things. Or at the altar rail. It's quite difficult to do. Oh, but so I think that's a different question. Okay. I, I, well, when I, my impression of the Church of England before I came into it was that because it held all these views, I just assumed, in fact, people didn't believe things very strongly. Mm. In fact, I discovered they believed lots of things very strongly. They were just all different things. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, that's much more impressive. And right. so the, the compromise mm. comes in a willingness to, to acknowledge that, that somebody else could be right and you could be wrong, <laughs> um, which I have to do. Obviously, I know in practice they're horribly misguided and I'm right, but I have to own the possibility that they could be right and I'm wrong. And, and so the compromise comes in a willingness to say, actually, together before God, we don't really know. We're going to do our best. We're trying to muddle this through. We'll, we'll use the scripture. We'll use tradition. We'll use all the tools we've got. And, and our job is to spend this life trying to make sense of it. But we could be wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I think there the are compromise on some things that don't matter very much. But the much more interesting thing is how do you engage constructively with people whom you so far don't agree with. Mm. And the etymology of the word is a rather positive one. It's compromise. You're you're promising to be with somebody and that will then involve compromise in the the other sense of the word. Yeah, and I I think there's something distinctive about the Christian understanding of of truth that enables us to do that in a way that maybe is harder to do in other um, ways of thinking about the world. And that, that is, I suppose, that, you know, as Christians, we believe truth is in some senses eschatological it's something that yes. will one day be yes. revealed but we don't yet have it in all its entirety we have yeah. a clue to the to the reality of truth in the person of jesus christ but we don't yet have all the truth yeah. in our possession and what that does i think is it it t- says that there is such a thing as truth it's not that we yes. dis- dissolve into some kind of mm. rather relativistic kind of postmodern mess <laughs> where there's no such thing as truth therefore it doesn't really matter yeah. what you do or think or exactly. anything else but it sort of stops short of that very confident brash assertiveness that says i have the truth and and everyone who disagrees with me is is, is necessarily wrong and i think that that actually holds the tension quite well it seems to me between those two poles of of you know absolute relativism yes. and, and and absolute sort of confidence in True. what you what truth, truth is, is, is eschatological, as you say. It's also ultimately personal, yeah, yeah. even more than it is proposition. A proposition is simply a mm. way of trying mm. to home in on the personal. Um, and that also makes it a richer, yeah. m- more difficult to nail down and think you've completely got it sewn up kind of thing, yeah, sure. it seems to me. Yeah. I mean, one issue, um, maybe you've done quite a bit of thinking around, is the whole issue of faith schools. And... Um, for those of you listening in other parts of the world, here in Britain, we have a particular um, tradition of Church of England schools, Roman Catholic schools, schools that have a sort of foundation in religious communities. And a large part of our sort of um, public education is actually now, um, to some degree or other, controlled by by churches. And um, I guess other countries have similar uh, sort of arrangements, but um, maybe not. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I, I'd love to get your your thoughts on... I mean, I suppose there are a number of questions in my mind. One, you know, things like, you know, with faith schools, are they a good idea? Can you sort of teach religion in quite that same way? You know, is it something that can be inculcated in um, in that sort of educational setting? Um, how do they function? What's their future, and so on? So, um, yeah, there's a few questions. I a few know. questions <laughs> tied in there, but I don't know where you want to start off with any of them. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, 
Well, I'm, I'm very interested in the whole faith schools thing because I think our setup in Britain is quite unusual. Um, plenty of other countries do have faith schools, but they tend mm. to be in the private sector. I mean, yeah. th- that's not an exclusive mm. view, but we're, we're pretty unusual in having such an overwhelming interweaving of faith schools mm. and um, more secular state schools all together in the state sector, funded by the state oh, and, oh. and um, effectively regulated by the state. And of course, the, in the classic thing, and I live in Durham, which is a wonderful city in northern England, mm. and it's if you were designing Durham now, you design it on a grid. But of course, it isn't like that. It's been going for a thousand years. And so, in fact, it's a crazy, meandering um, place full of hills and, and, think, and avenues that go anywhere. And that's, of course, what our education system is like. In a sense, the history of education in Britain, it, for most of its time, is the history of church schools. So the church started off and, and ran most of the schools long before the state ever got involved. And the state only really got involved in in education in the 19th century. I mean, it only put its first toe in the water in 1833 with a grand total of £20,000 grant to help build a few schools. Um, and so it, it, we're in an unusual position. Um, so, I mean, by, okay. by, by 1870, I mean, the government well, essentially had a choice. They decided the state needed a proper system and at that point they could either have abolished it and start it again, but well, they in fact chose to save money and just fill in the gaps. And so we ended up with both in the state. Yeah. Do you, do you think by and large faith schools work? I mean, do they... And what, what is the point of them do you think is are they there to sort of to, to teach people christianity and to, to produce christians are they there to sort of build christian civilization christian culture what's the purpose of them do you think it's very very good question and um, it depends who you ask um they, they take different views roman catholic schools for example are, are very clear that their primary role is to educate catholic children mm. and mm. there have been you know there's been papal encyclical about it and, and that there's a really clear um theological position which is education is meaningless apart from god and therefore you need to create mm. an environment from the earliest time that where education is constructed in the context of god mm. that won't all be explicitly talking about god but it means you construct every aspect of the values the curriculum in, in that framework. Uh, Anglican schools have had traditionally have had different drivers. Sometimes it, some people, when you ask them, will say it's about mission. Young people don't come to church, therefore we should go to them. Some will say it's about uh, educating Christian children in Christian schools. Some will simply say it's about service to the community. And actually you see all of those things in yeah. different church schools in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I know I've always, I've sometimes been spoken at, say, you know, you get public schools that are kind of Christian and have chapel and that kind of thing. And you, you, you turn up and I always hated speaking at these places because they all, they all have to be there by force. And they don't have any choice. Yeah. And they're sitting there in these sort of rather sullen rows sort of with their arms, arms akimbo and, and all these, you know, just, just looking rather sort of glum. And, and you, you try and tell a joke and, and well, no one laughs. Well, no one laughs at my jokes. Yeah, anyway. you one of jokes <laughs> but, you know, raising a laugh or raising a sort of yeah. any flicker of interest is pretty yeah. hard work. And it's often made me made me think, you know, well, um, you know, and, and often you, you, you get the sense that sort of religion in that kind of context often makes people feel, well, you know, I've done religion, I had it at school, uh, you know, it's not for me. And it almost inoculates people against a sort of faith later on in life. Um, but is the evidence that, that that's true or is the evidence actually that it does create the, the environment in which it does actually Im- impact people's um, outlook it's a very interesting faith. question. And actually, I, I, I'm, I'm doing a PhD incredibly slowly. And, and that's one of the questions I'm trying to look at. And I'm struggling to find evidence mm. because I, I'm just interested in what it is that the churches think they're doing you know, and whether or not they're delivering. Is, is that happening as a result of it? Yeah. But actually, I think for a lot of people involved in faith schools, religion is a part of it, but primarily it's a vocation. And what they're mm. trying to do is to construct an environment in which young people can learn in the context of a set of Christian values. Now, that's not just in the very narrow sense. If we accept that any school is going to have values, then mm. deeming a school secular means 
means you're creating an environment in which young people learn, from which you've specifically chosen to exclude God and anything yep. to do with God. Yep. And so all the sense they're doing mm. is creating an environment in which you've decided that, mm. that and those values may not be explicitly Christian. Mm. They may be derived from Christianity. They mm. could be about, I heard someone talk recently wonderfully about Christian values, not just of, of morality, but of delight. Delight is a core Christian value. Shouldn't children be brought up to delight in learning and delight in discovery, to find joy in things, not just to pass exams in a utilitarian way? So there there is an awful lot more, I think, to a a good faith school than just teaching of religion. Did I I hear you say at the beginning that you come from Northern Ireland? No, no, I was born in Dublin, but I grew Dublin. up in this country. Sorry, sorry. Yes, okay, yeah. I got the wrong, no, I, I, wrong, wrong bit of I currently live in the in the no, indeed. Let definitely. me rephrase <laughs> the question. <laughs> I mean, somebody like Richard Dawkins dislikes faith schools because they are uh, brainwashing at an early age before people have the critical faculties to um, resist such indoctrination. Um, do you think there is, there is sometimes justice to that kind of claim? Is there sometimes improper? Um, influence of, of young people um, and if not how would you defend against that kind of claim I mean it's an interesting question as to whether it works I spent um, most of my childhood in a Catholic convent school and mm. emerged a happy atheist yeah. so mm. I mean, if they're mm. doing a brainwashing mm. job they're not doing that good a job of it in yeah. many cases um, so you rebel think, against the powers yeah, that be don't I mean, you yeah. Yeah. But, but on the other hand what it did give me was, was an element of religious literacy which an awful lot of young people don't and I think that's probably the strongest argument for education on religion is actually that in a world where religion ironically is even more important rather than less important despite all the expectations it becomes incredibly important that young people are religiously literate. Now I think there's a different question as to whether in particular societies especially somewhere like Northern Ireland and frankly parts of Scotland, where if, if communities are divided on, tradi- on traditional denominational grounds, you've got a particular responsibility I think to look at how, how you, you care for young people in those environments to make sure that if anything barriers are broken down. And, and I have to, I've been looking mostly at England. So I think that's right and that feels incredibly important. But ironically, that's a, a setting like that you, you could actually probably do more to break down barriers. I mean, at my Catholic school, even in the 1970s, we were taken to visit Protestant churches. We were taught about other denominations yeah, right. and other religions, which I would never have found out I, from any, any other source. Yeah, so I think sure. you can use that yeah, as a force yeah. for good as well as for, for bad. Mm-hmm. The, the, the other point, I guess, is in response to your question, Mike, is um, when we talk about faith schools, as if there were such things as unfaith schools. Indeed. Or in other words, schools that didn't have any faith. And I, I think I'd want to say that every school has some kind of understanding of what it's trying to do and what it's trying to inculcate in, in, in its pupils, whether that's explicit or not. And um, in some senses, faith schools is a, it's a bit like, you know, talk about the faith communities, as if there's a other set of communities that don't have any faith. Mm-hmm. Or actually, I think I'd want to say we all have faith in, in something. We all have a sort of structure, a way of looking at the world. Some, some of us, values so, exactly, some of us explicit about that in terms of, of a kind of maybe a religious way of looking at the world some mm-hmm. don't and the, the one the good things about Richard Dawkins is he's very explicit about his particular way of looking at the world as a um an atheist but uh it strikes me that distinction between faith schools that are somehow special at having a particular look at the world and, and others that don't is a slightly spurious distinction um I think that's right. And and it's been it's an interesting question that Ofsted, which is the body that inspects schools um, in England, um, has has found a clear evidence that schools with a very strong, clear ethos tend to be good schools. And I suspect one of yeah. the reasons that faith schools tend to be good schools is because they have a very strong, clear ethos. That's not to say that you couldn't construct a strong ethos that was not based on a faith. You clearly could. And some schools do. And yeah. so it yeah. feels to me the most important thing is that schools should be encouraged to articulate that ethos, yeah. not to yeah. presume in, in a fairly lazy, intellectually lazy way that somehow 
how the absence of, of, of God is, yep. is not is not a faith or a value set. Clearly yeah, it is. Exactly. So to articulate what that is, make it clear, encourage young people to understand it and push against it if necessary as part of the process of honing their own yeah. understanding. Mm. That feels like a good space to be in for everybody, as long as parents have choice. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do, you, do you, I wonder what you guys think about a school, say a Christian school, choosing which students come in? I mean, do you have an opinion mm. about, should you be letting in only, air quotes, Christian children or should you be letting in anybody who wants to come i mean to me it sometimes it seems absurd if you think oh we've got lots of non-christians who want to come into our school we're going to bar them from coming in that seems absurd i mean what is the point of a christian school is it to is it to kind of continue to enforce a certain type of cultural outlook in which case you only let in people who already ascribe to your views or are you trying to teach anyone who wants to come it's back to your issue about you know, is, a Catholic schools you seeing That's it right. as yeah. reinforcing the Catholic yeah. community and, and educating people within that, or is it somehow yeah. a missional approach of, of introducing all kinds or of people to Or a service to, to society, even now. Yeah. And that debate is happening in the Church of England right now, isn't culture, it? Yeah. What, in the sense, yeah. sense to influence the culture. It's also a really good, it's a really good question. The Catholics are really clear, and they do. They, many Catholic schools, if they have surplus spaces, will admit other children. Um, but the Anglicans is quite interesting, and a lot of Anglican schools will cite all of these values, and then they'll say at some point, and we hold them in tension. And of course, the point at which you have to make a decision is if, if a school's oversubscribed. Now, the vast yep. majority of schools in Britain are not oversubscribed, but if they are and you've got to make a choice, then that's when the rubber gets the road and you've got to make are, a call. They? Yeah. They're, because they're, they're, very they're, they're surprisingly yes. very popular in, in a yep. supposedly very secular society. Um, yeah. Everyone wants to send their kid to the local... Faith school, or exactly. Christian yeah, it's school. The thing, Jonathan, it's school. the thing that got me. I started off just looking generally about kind of state, state and faith. Mm. And the reason I ended up looking at faith schools is because it was just so counterintuitive. I mean, yeah. here's this great secularization theory: the state's going to be withdrawing from all public services, and here is this massive mm. state sector, hugely delivered by churches, and massively popular with people who wouldn't have a faith at all or of other faiths. Yeah, often, yeah. Um, Anglican schools are often very popular with Muslim families or families of other faiths. Yeah, you raised that issue. I mean, of course. The issue of Muslim schools has is, uh, been much discussed uh, recently. Do you have a kind of view of that? It's happening, isn't it? It is happening. There, there are now schools, but, I mean, for a long time, there were, there were only Christian schools and a few Jewish schools. In fact, the vast majority were Roman Catholic, Anglican, a few Methodist and a few Jewish mm-hmm. schools. Um, there are now Muslim schools, there are Sikh schools, um, there are um, Orthodox schools, there are Seventh-day Adventist schools. I mean, there's, there, are, there, are, there are relatively small numbers. I mean, I mean, really tiny compared to the, the vast majority. There are independent evangelical um, Christian mm-hmm. schools. There's quite a wide range now. Um, my own view is, I think, is that in a multi-faith society, if you're going to make it possible for the st- for somebody to apply for state funding for a school that has a faith basis, mm-hmm. then I don't think the state's in the business of deciding which faiths pass. Mm-hmm. I think what you have to do is to do what you do with all schools, is make sure that they pass all the appropriate um, quality and regulatory standards and you make sure that young people are taught appropriate skills. And that comes down to the national curriculum. It comes mm-hmm. down to learning. But the reality is in most other countries where you don't allow faith, either any faith schools or particular faiths in the state system, those parents who want it enough, simply you simply drive them outside it. So they go to private schools where they're almost unregulated and and in the UK for example we do have private schools that are not state funded which don't have to teach the national curriculum actually have less regulation so I think your question is not will you ever have Muslim schools the question is do you want them in the state sector or not and what are the consequences of either decision yeah right it strikes me the I mean the answer to your question or at least um one answer to your question Stephen is is it's a little bit it's a bit like churches in a way isn't it you know churches are places that it would be crazy to say Okay, someone wants to come to our church who's not a, right. quite sure where they believe, or they're just, you know, um, or even if they they don't believe at all, no. Hopefully, no church would ever say no, no, you can't come to our church. Um, and so it somehow lives with this this same tension of being a community of people 
who, who do have faith and who are learning that and, and walking that path, but also keeping its doors mm. as open as it can possibly be to people who are part of it. And it seems to be a, a good, healthy church is always a, a mix between people who are really sort of committed to faith and, and walking the the path of faith and quite a few people around the fringes and the edges. It's a school who, who, church, though. Well, it probably isn't, but it seems to me there's a parallel to be made between the two. Yeah. Um, the, the argument, I mean, that's, that's one of the arguments that you're describing, Graham, is well, the arguments some people would make who are in favour of allowing to, people to, to select on faith grounds. They would say, for example, if you're a Christian school, you need to a certain proportion of, of, the, mm. of your school to be either teachers or students to be from a Christian background mm. to help you maintain the ethos. Mm. Um, having said that, there are Church of England schools which are 98% Muslim, you mean, for historical yeah. reasons. Yep. And, mm. and my own view, I think, is you've got, to, you've got to think really very carefully about the message you're sending out if you, if you appear to prioritise Christians. Um, for exactly the reasons Graham described, right. you want to be able to maintain um, an ethos and maintain a community mm. but it wants to feel like a welcoming inclusive community yeah. that you wants other people to be part of it and to discover it yeah. because how else will they ever find the, the, the joy that lies there so in? it is like a church then <laughs> <laughs> well it strikes me yeah there are there are some real similarities yeah. they're not exactly yeah. the same yeah. but um like any any church that in some ways loses its identity as a christian church in terms of what it believes or who's there and uh, and so on and it, it, it lacks that sort of core mm. of christian um commitment and involvement is, has lost something really valuable but equally a church that is exclusive in the sense that it never opens its doors to someone and makes it very difficult for anyone outside the you know christian faith to come in is a rather also an unhealthy in some ways church, that so. is an attention isn't it if if you don't maintain your ethos you have nothing to offer the outs- yep. somebody coming from yep. the outside yep. and by and large people want to know what the church has to offer because they're aware yep. of areas where it would be really useful to have and education is, is one of the ways in which maybe that happens I mean, we were talking earlier on about ac- the accessibility of christian faith and how sometimes it's quite inaccessible from the outside and you don't know this world exists um but it may well be that education is one of the key ways in which that can happen that, that, that christian faith can be but more visible within society so actually you know christian schools anglican schools catholic schools have a quite a vital role to play in that making faith just that bit more visible in society. I think that's right. But also I think it's partly about trying to contribute to making society a, a better, happier place with yeah. the kind of values yeah. that we think would... Ma- and I mean, one of the reasons for wanting to promote, uh, me wanting to promote Christian values is not just to make effort turn other people into yeah. churchgoers like me. Sure. It's yeah, about yeah, saying, yeah. actually, I think these are these are the yeah. means for humans to, yeah. to, to really flourish because within yeah. these values, and these, these are values, I think if we lay them out appropriately, mm. that we can share with other people, even people who don't, yeah. under, who don't wouldn't sign up to the faith that underpins them. These, the, the, yeah. I mean, if, if we take our view, what the Bible has to teach us is good for humanity. It's yeah. not just good for, for people who, who declare themselves to be Christians or theologians. And you're not just trying to create little clones. Exactly. For your, a real Christian education will be quite fearlessly embracing some of these big questions we've been talking about. It's not teaching in this narrow kind of um, check these boxes and now you're educated. It's more like mm-hmm. this is how you approach some very big questions and you need mm-hmm. to... Figure it out. Delight, yeah. discovery. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. not creating little little robots that all think the same. I guess. Very good, Maeve. Thank you so much for coming today. That was great it's been fun. A Thank fascinating you. Fascinating discussion, ranging over a lot of different issues. So, um, so we're very um, grateful to you for coming and um, contributing to GodPod sixty two. So uh, if, I think if sixty two, <laughs> if it is sixty two, <laughs> we'll revise it if it's not. But. Um, uh, so um, I think we've reached the end of our time. So thank you, Maeve, very much for coming today. Uh, thank you, Mike, as thank always. Thank you very much. And Stephen, too. And uh, we will we'll be back for God Pod 63 before too long. That was God Pod. 
a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.